comforter, my all and all. May that be true for you today. May that be true for you uh, this whole day, this week coming. Before we jump into the text, if you want to get ready, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 4. We're actually going to read the whole chapter today. Um, As large of a church Lake Avenue might be and seem, especially if you're new with us over the pandemic, I often describe Lake Avenue Church as at least 15 different churches within a church. It's not to say we don't have a collective identity, I, I believe we do. But I give that description not only to describe the beautiful breadth of the expressions of how people follow Jesus, but it also is meant to describe the intimacy with which relationships happen in such a large congregation. And because of that intimacy, because of that intimacy, it's been a big week for some communities in our church family, and it is a huge day for one particular family in our church. And I just want to pause and bring you update and bring some words. First, many of you know Eunice Richter, Robert and Ruth Legacy. You know their daughter, Stephanie Smith, married to Daniel. So many of you for the last two years have been praying diligently for baby Noah. And uh, Noah is in surgery right now He was able to receive the organs that he needs. Uh, I was just texting Robert, and I'm calling us as a church family, whether you know the Richter, Legacy, Smith family or not, to just be in prayer. It's a long and extensive surgery. He'll be in surgery most of today. I join you to to fast lunch with me um, and to hold him in prayer. I know we have a church business meeting, but this might just be some good perspective as well. His name is Noah Smith. He's two years old. He's been waiting two years for organs, and we're praising God that the organs have come, and we are praying for the doctors in Tennessee that today's surgery would be successful and Noah would go on to live and thrive in this, in this life. Please, I know so many of you have been praying, wanted to bring that update and then call you to prayer. I also want to recognize that if there was one single uh, alumni, uh, one single school that has gotten a lot of money from Lake Avenue church folk, Uh, It's probably Azusa Pacific University. So many of you have sent your children or alumni yourself, got a master's degree there. It's right in our own neighborhood. And many of you uh, might be aware uh, that the former president, John Wallace, passed away this week. He served that institution for 43 years, 19 years as president. John Wallace has preached in this pulpit frequently. He, is an exce- he was an exceptional man. So many of you work on, on faculty, on staff, or current students, alumni, and I just want to say to you, uh, we're mindful not only of the Wallace family, but the entire APU community, and we are praying for you as you grieve the loss of what, what is a faithful follower of Jesus. I had a couple very personal interactions with uh, Dr. Wallace, and what I was blown away uh, from one conversation to the next might have been five years, and he remembered so many details about me. It, it, truly one of a kind, and we grieve that loss, but also celebrate that he is in heaven. Wanted to bring that update to so many of you. I also want to bring shifting gears that we, next week, 
will re-begin um, our parking lot service, 1130. Uh, you'll recall we took the month off during the surge, felt that was wise, and we're grateful that starting next week, 1130 in our parking lot will be our outdoor service. Uh, bring a jacket, it'll be a little bit cooler, uh, but we're grateful to begin that again. So look for details on that. And if you have missed us, we've missed you, and we look forward to worshiping starting next week. I was tempted to say, because of the Super Bowl, maybe we should wait a week, but then I got my priorities right, don't worry. And the other thing I wanna make you aware of, and I'll bring comments to our congregational meeting if you're watching this live, if you're not, you can watch the recording. But tonight at six o'clock, uh, the Clergy Community Coalition, Executive Director Myra Nolan, it, there's an all church prayer Zoom for Pasadena. And we'll give those details out in the chat. You can also find them on the Clergy Community Coalition website and Instagram. But I invite you to come pray with brothers and sisters from all congregations that follow Jesus in Pasadena. It will be a powerful night of prayer. All right, I think we've got through that. I, I feel led to just pray as a transition. Is that okay? Father, thank you for this day, this opportunity to, to be alive to be awake. We are prayerful today for, for Noah Smith, and we ask for your hands to continue to guide those doctors. Thank you for your provision. God, thank you for the provision of, of computers and technology and cameras and lights and sound and musicians and artists and the way you have mapped out our worship experience today. I pray that it wouldn't just be awesome to watch but, God, that we would experience you in a very real and tangible way today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to me that in any given moment, we are rebuilding. We're rebuilding something. Uh, very uh, concretely, some of you, as I walk uh, the streets of Pasadena a lot these days, I'm blown away with how much construction is happening, how much rebuilding, uh, renewing, remodeling is happening. But, but more than just physical rebuilding, it seems to me that at any given moment, we're in a season of repair or rebuild, either in our career, in the relationships around us, uh, in our conversations, in the way we view our, our own personal health or even our spiritual life, that if there was one thing that is constant is that we are always in some level of process of being renewed and rebuilt. I, I mean, not everyone. There's plenty of people who declare and let us know uh, and let the world know that they've got it pretty much figured out. Uh, but the people I find most compelling in faith and in life are people who have the humility to declare that they are a work in process. And that progress is the story of being human. Progress is prayerfully the story of following God. And that this life we are in is in a journey where it's constantly being rebuilt and repaired and seasons of being torn down. We find ourselves in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, and if we need to remember before we read this text that we're reading Old Testament history, 
And this history is very specific to Nehemiah and to this particular context. And as much as they are rebuilding walls around a city, the reality is you and I are rebuilding all kinds of things all of the time in our lives. So I'm not giving you a message today to talk about the physical building of Lake Avenue Church, although the physical gates and walls of Jerusalem will be the text in which we try to learn something about what God might have to say to us. And what we'll see today is what we saw at the end of last week is that oftentimes when rebuilding happens, opposition increases. I know that to be true in just one part of my life, my own health journey. How many Monday mornings have I said, this is going to be the week where I'm going to fill in the blank, work out three times, I'm going to eat correctly only to get to Monday afternoon and the opposition has increased. The, the, the temptation has risen to just put off that rebuilding yet another week. I mean, this is the reality that when we declare that something's not quite what we believe it should be and we begin the journey of rebuilding and repairing, often what happens is temptation and opposition come. Last week we saw in Nehemiah one who went out in the middle of the night to survey the work that needed to be done. He then inspired others towards the mission of finishing the wall and we ended the chapter with these familiar characters we will see again in chapter 4 who are kind of bent now on making sure that this repair and this rebuilding of the walls and gates will not happen. In chapter 3, we get a rest from them. We're not going to teach chapter 3, but I do encourage you to read it because what you will see is name after name, family after family, gift after gift, trade after trade, coming together to begin the work of repairing the walls of Jerusalem. And, 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 and really, it's a beautiful picture of what happens when we have willing hands and humble hearts and the people of God come together for a common purpose and mission. It's amazing what can happen. And now we find ourselves in Nehemiah 4. As the building has begun, the opposition will increase. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to read the entire chapter of Nehemiah 4. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And it really does read like history, so I hope I read it in a way where you are gripped, just as gripped as you are from whatever Netflix show you are watching right now, that you can see the drama as this unfolds. Verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they rebuilding? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. It's the prayer of Nehemiah, the response to the ridicule. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But... 
Now we have more opposition. When, this, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Verse 8, they all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it, but, but, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and they will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Sense the paranoia. Ten times over. Verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work in one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I hope you sense the drama. The building has happened. We've just left chapter 3 where it's impressive and these familiar characters come and immediately are trying to uh, verbally stop what is happening with the building. And the immediate response of Nehemiah to the verbal assault is to pray and then he says, then we built the wall. We just kept working. But then the opposition increased beyond verbal to like a physical threat and we see some discouragement and some fear coming into the people, the Jews. And in that moment, we find one, again, Nehemiah responding to God in prayer, but also mobilizing people for action. And we get this amazing image of the work continuing with people holding on and now having some defense to their offense. There's one line in there, you might have seen it, where we, we worked and with with these hands, but we had a weapon on us at all times. So what, what can we learn from this? Because again, what we're not talking about is defending uh, 393 North Lake Avenue, and here's how we're going to do it. We need to get some paint done, and there's going to be people mocking us from the streets of Pasadena. I mean, we have to understand this history, 
first, and then I'll make some comments on its application. So stick with me. I, I want you to see three truths in this chapter. One, I've already said it, when the rebuilding begins, the opposition increases. We, we see that in verses 1 to 3. We see that again in verses 7 to 8. Two different kinds of oppositions. However, one common trajectory at this point through the entire book. First, notice the verbal opposition in verses 1 to 3. It says that Samballot became angry and was greatly incensed and that he ridiculed the Jews. Begins throwing insults out, mocking them. And then it goes on that Tobiah, the Ammonite, not only mocks them, but mocks their work by saying, I mean, if a fox jumped up on what you've done so far, it's going to crumble. I mean, the verbal insults in, in chapter 4 are, are growing, but what we know is that this is the trend of the way these folks have been following this whole, this whole story. So it's not the first time, but we do see some escalation. You remember in chapter 2 when uh, Nehemiah was before the king and, and not only got the king's blessing, but got him to fund it, got him papers to travel throughout the, the empire. It says that they were greatly disturbed by what Nehemiah was doing. Chapter 2, we find also that they mocked and were ridiculed by even the idea of what Nehemiah felt led to do in terms of rebuilding the walls and gates. And right here in chapter 4, more ridicule, more mocking. Because the reality is that as the rebuilding was beginning for them in chapter 4 to a new level, so were the voices that were opposing them. And why we might not have a literal person mocking us in this way, some of you do. That co-worker, that family member, that neighbor, whoever in your life is trying to thwart the building and the rebuilding that you're doing in your life, the reality is we all have voices that are trying to get in the way of the progress that we sense God is inviting us into. And sometimes the loudest voices of opposition are the voices that live within our own mind and heart. You're not good enough to do that. You're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not fill in the blank. Whatever voices of opposition come when we sense maybe God inviting us to new terrain, to a new project, to a new mission, that oftentimes the voices of opposition live within us and become louder and louder. And in chapter 4, we see it quite literally happening. I think it's important to ask the question, what verbal cues, what verbal places, what voices, what people, what voices with you are constantly trying to oppose the work that God might be inviting you into. In, in this particular story, it goes beyond verbal to a quite dangerous place, actually, beyond verbal opposition to physical opposition. In verses 7 to 8, we find that uh, these, this, and this is really important, this list is not just interesting. If you were to geographically look at where Jerusalem is at this time and you start dissecting where Sanballat's from, where Tobiah's from, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, what is this trying to communicate? What's trying to communicate is from all sides there was physical opposition and the threat of violence. All sides of this work. There, there wasn't just one flank off of Jerusalem where they were getting the physical opposition. No, there was a deeper plot 
This work has uh, been frustrated beyond just people being verbally upset and wanting to mock some people. There's been some organizing that is happening. And now the Jews and Nehemiah's whole vision that God has given him is under physical opposition. People literally wanting to fight and to stir up trouble. Well, I struggle to bring anything from my own life that would illustrate this point. What I love about being at Lake Avenue Church are the dozens of stories of those of you who have immigrated uh, to America from Africa, from Latin America, where part of your immigration story is because of your faith in Jesus. Opposition was coming on all sides, and you have lived this kind of opposition. Many of us just live the verbal opposition. Some of you live day in and day out of the threat of physical opposition based on who you are, what your story is, where you live, what your skin color is. So as far off as this can be for someone like me, it's not that far off from many of you. That the opposition isn't just verbal, but it's physical and the threat of violence looms. The point for this morning is this. Notice that when rebuilding begins and increases, so does opposition. I believe God has something for us to think about there. The second aspect of the story I want you to see is I want you to notice the response to opposition. Because it's amazingly consistent for Nehemiah. The response to opposition in every moment so far continues here in chapter 4, and his response to opposition is prayer. We see it right away in verses 4 to 5. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. I mean, maybe we need to start praying a little more bluntly, folk. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here's what I love about this. It is a prayer from Nehemiah to God for God to be the God of justice. What Nehemiah doesn't do is organize the people to start a war and to keep the rebuilding. We'll talk about that in a moment. Taking up a spear is different than using a spear. What Nehemiah does is motivate his people, uh, he responds to God in prayer because he knows it is God's work, it is the, the God that he has prayed to over and over, who gave him the mission, who gave him the favor, who gave him the, the plans, and he goes to God in prayer when they face verbal opposition, and he goes to God in prayer when he faces physical opposition. Verse 9, the front part, but we prayed to our God. These are not benign details in the text. They're foundational I mean, notice this again. Nehemiah gets the report, chapter 1. He gets the report that it's not well. And he responds for four months in fasting and in prayer. You remember, he's in front of the king, and he's nervous, he's scared. And, and he prays in the middle of his presentation to the king. And, and then he's out and about, and he's praying to God for the, for the understanding, for the plans. And here again, he faces opposition, he's praying to God. This is someone who doesn't just come to church once a week to get their dose of God. This is someone who has relationship with God in the ins and outs of life, and especially in times of opposition. Nehemiah's retaliation wasn't towards people, it was to turn to God again and again and again. And what I love about this model is what we see in Nehemiah is an example of what intimacy looks like amidst uncertainty. 
Intimacy amidst uncertainty. I mean, notice how this moves. The drama unfolds. It's not that he goes to prayer and gets the next 10 steps. We'll get there in a moment. He goes to prayer, and then the next thing. And then the next thing comes, and we pray, and then we adjust. I mean, it's just dynamic. It seems like a real relationship. And to me, intimacy amidst uncertainty is the very invitation of what it means to have relationship with God. Intimacy amidst uncertainty. If I was to describe, I mean, I know the Lord gave me that phrase. I don't think I would use it three weeks ago. But if you ask me, Jeff, what has COVID, what has the pandemic done in your own life? And I would say it's cultivated intimacy with God amidst uncertainty because I learned very early what you've learned very early. Sure, let's make plans a month from now. (laughs) There's no certainty that's happening. But how do we walk with God and be with Jesus in the midst of not knowing circumstance? Nehemiah is a great example of someone who his witness with God is his priority. And yes, there's work to do, there's a mission God's given him, but you cannot, you cannot not see the a Nehemiah who is so in love and so connected to his God. Within the relationship of intimacy that Nehemiah has with God, we find not only a responsive reality for Nehemiah's life, but we see that Nehemiah seems to get strength to help take, and this will be the third observation, taking the next faithful step. I think I've alluded to this. I'd love for you to reread 9 and 13 and 14, 16 and 18, because it's really, it's the response. Opposition, pray this step. Opposition, pray this step. And what we see is some very extensive next steps in this particular context. And what I most enjoy about reading this history as the story unfolds, so does Nehemiah and the people respond. It's so deeply real life. We see emotion and planning and blessing and opposition and adjustments and rebuilding. All the things that prove to me how deeply true the scripture is. That we're not reading as as far removed as this particular context is. Do you see the human behavior and realities being fully present? Prove how deeply true scripture is to tap into the human experience. That you and I still live at a time where rebuilding is what God has invited us into. We live in a time where opposition is coming from all around us. We live in a time where that opposition can be verbal and physical and so many other things. But throughout we see a God who is right there with his people. Inviting them into relationship and walking and providing them with the next faithful Step And in this particular story, there are three faithful steps I want to point out. One, and to be redundant, because I want to be redundant on this point, see the faithful step of stepping toward God. Stepping toward God over and over and over again. And yes, it's three verses in one point in one part of the story that capture that stepping toward God, and it's half a verse in another point. But what's consistent in the book of Nehemiah is that when Nehemiah goes to God, it's his faithful step saying, recognizing this is bigger than me. I need God for what will come. 
But he doesn't just move to God and sit in a corner and have this beautiful devotional life. His relationship with God moves him to take steps, some, some action as well. And I want you to see that there were two things. If we reduce this drama in chapter 4, he basically says, grab a spear and grab a shovel. We're going to keep building. And I want you to have, uh, I want you to have some, some defense here. I'm not, I'm not just sending you out to be uh, murdered. We, we, we've got work to do, but it's okay to do the work and to set up some defense as well. The focus, though, I want you to see, the focus of Nehemiah and the people is on the rebuilding. It's not on preparing for battle. Fulfilling the mission of the rebuilding work is the priority, no matter the circumstance. Grab a shovel. Get to work. After that first uh, verbal taunt, they, they build the wall in such a way that, that their, their work is so productive, so inspiring, so good that the gaps, it says, are being closed that, that the response now is from the people, the opposition amps up. So grab a shovel. Step towards God and step towards the rebuilding. But you can also... Have some defense. Recognize the opposition. Don't minimize the opposition. Grab a spear. I think in this text what we see is defense, not offense, when we talk about spears. Spears at your side, spears on the ready. There was never a plan at this point. And the question becomes, and this is that contextual question that's really, really, really important for us to think about, is we're on the other side of the cross, We have teachings of Jesus that say, turn the other cheek. Uh, We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the new covenant found in the church. So so can we reduce down from this that there are going to be times where we need to literally grab a weapon and grab a shovel? I would argue that as new covenant people, we have to be much more thoughtful as to what the scripture says. And if the point of the spears was defense, ask the question, what defense has God given us, the people of God, on this side of the cross? I love what we sang earlier. My weapon is a melody. That our testimony, that our confidence. I know that in the New Testament we see the, that the, the word of God is referred to as a sword. This is the spear many of us need to strap on while we put our shovels to work in the rebuilding having our sword handy. I know that God has gifted us with the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that God has given us community in one another, all ways that when the rebuilding work, whatever God's called us to, that we're not alone in just picking up our shovels, but that we have more available to us. In a moment, we will end this service. And if you're watching this live you are invited to come to our uh, congregational meeting at 11.30. If you're not watching this live, you can view a recording of that congregational meeting. And according to the bylaws of this particular church, this is the congregational meeting. One of the things we'll be doing is you hear a statement of vision from the senior pastor. You even get to hear a statement of vision from your acting senior pastor today. And when we did this meeting a year ago and declared to you that we sensed as the leadership of this church that God was inviting us in 2020 to be a church in motion, that's what we said. 
Could you ever imagine what the year held for us? And some of us have struggled to see the motion of the Holy Spirit over 2020, but I can tell you, Lake Avenue Church, that God has been faithful in that vision. That in many ways, the movement of God through the power of the Holy Spirit has been so different than we've ever experienced in our life. But I know who's watching and from where you're watching. I, I know the new communities that have formed. The intimacy with Jesus in this season amidst uncertainty is not just my story. I've gotten three or four emails in the last two days about that being your story. I think about the efforts in which you came at the end of December to not just fund our general fund, which is critical and important, but, that, but almost $50,000 going to Turkana and ministries to, to, to continue the work of Jesus in places. Lake Avenue Church, this has been a year 2020 where this church was in motion. It wasn't anything we ever dreamed it would be. But isn't that what God does? That he takes even the most broken of things and repairs and rebuilds and restores in the way he is going to restore. Some of us would say this is a year where the opposition has been all around you in your personal life, in the life of this church, from all sides. Racial uh, uprising opposition, political op opposition, COVID pandemic opposition. It just feels so suffocating. And in the midst of all the opposition, we as a church and you as a follower of Jesus, I pray, have turned to God and cultivated intimacy amidst the uncertainty. In fact, last year, alongside this church in motion, we, we really felt led to four words. We believe that God was calling us to be moving towards intimacy with him, moving towards reconciliation with one another, moving towards service, and moving towards a strategy. And I can tell you and will just briefly in our congregational meeting tell you how I believe I've seen God show up in each one of those areas. What a year for a church to declare God's called us to own our ministry of reconciliation. What a year to do that. What a year to say we're a church that God's called us to have more depth in our walk with Jesus. Because maybe, just maybe, God was prepared and knew we wouldn't have one another in the same way. That this could be a groundbreaking opportunity to cultivate individual, deep, intimate faith with him. What a year for us to ask the question, what is the strategy in which God's called us to? Because I'll tell you what it's not. There's about eight people in this room right now. And I, I believe 2021, we will be back. I, I pray that. So how we proclaim and how we be a church in this particular moment is fundamentally shifted. And we have seen God's grace and favor. Because over and over again, amidst the uncertainty, God has proven himself faithful. Lake Avenue Church, I don't know what today you are in need of rebuilding. But I know it's something. And the reason I know it's something is because I know me. And I've got all kinds of rebuilding that needs to happen. And as we go into 2021, as followers of Jesus primarily, the, primarily, yes, the institution of Lake Avenue, the body of Christ, we'll get there in a moment. But I believe it's a rebuilding kind of year. It's a year in which we try to figure out how to get back and what get back looks like in light of the change of 
everything we've lived in. I, I think we ought to be ready for opposition. I think we face that now. You face that in your own personal life. We face that in the life of, of being a congregation. But I know this. I know that if we can be faithful and turn to God and, and trust him, not only will he give us the next faithful step, but that he'll point out what shovels to pick up and what swords to pick up, what spears to pick up, what shovels to pick up. And ultimately, it will be God who does the work in our lives and in this church. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And God, I pray. I pray for those who are rebuilding something in their life right now. God, that when the opposition comes, and maybe it's come today in such a strong way, oh, Father, that they would turn to you and that you would provide us as your followers what the next faithful step might be. And then when the opposition comes again, that we would turn to you and and receive the next faithful step. And I pray the same for us as your body of Christ at Lake Avenue. Give us great vision, God, of where you and who you want us to be in this world, recognizing that opposition will come as the rebuilding begins, but that you are a God who provides next steps, next faithful steps. Give us wisdom, humility to know your voice, intimacy to cultivate our relationship with you so that we might be able to be found faithful in this particular moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.